good to be back together with you. We're with Tyler, who is a Lutheran pastor, Tim, who is a United Church minister, and myself, Gwen, an Anglican priest, all in the city of Winnipeg. So today, what I'm interested in talking about and hearing about from you is uh, about the theology that we're drawing on or that we're drawn to because of what we're living through right now. So last time we talked about um, spiritual practices that are helpful to us during this time. And so this is kind of related to that, but it's more, what are ways of thinking about you know, the divine and ourselves, uh, humanity, um, creaturedom in the world. What are ways of, of uh, thinking about all that that you're finding helpful or that you're finding you need to go to or want to draw on in this time? And so that could be academic theologians and books. Um, that could be uh, uh, certain themes that you're thinking about. And it could be popular culture references. Who's ready to go? <laughs> sure. Well, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about what I've been watching. I, I think one of the things that's maybe been a bit of a theme for, for all kinds of folks in our society is um, stay home, watch Netflix or something like that. Mm. And, um, and so my spouse and I often watch something in the evening together. And then I usually have a couple of sitcoms or something that I just, when I have a, need a bit of a break in my day I'll, I'll just sit down and take in but um but one of the shows that we went through recently that kind of spoke to me but also spoke to the time in which we are um, would be the handmaid's tale mm. and um and i haven't read margaret atwood's book but i feel like i've got a decent sense of themes in that book from the way it was portrayed and it was portrayed in in modern times so even though the the book is 30 plus years old, characters are holding smartphones and those kinds of things. <clears throat> and, um, and what I found interesting in that show that sort of spoke to these times is the way in which uh, legalistic and um, restrictive views can take hold and, and how that affects people in very negative ways, even though they're sort of put out there in some kind of um, positive move for society you know we need to have these laws to keep people in check we need to have um, this rigidity because things were going to hell in a handbasket before and um and what we can i break in for a moment sure so some would say like have being forced to wear masks right yeah yeah exactly okay um thank you that's a good example of that too some of the ways in which that's crept into our time right now that, you know, we're being told to do things. And um, so, yeah, I, I found that kind of a compelling show and, uh, and sort of pertinent to this pandemic time. Can I ask further about that? What is it that, uh, what way of thinking about, say, humanity's relationship to divinity uh, or where does that take you in, in relation to humanity's relationship to divinity? Well, part of um, the systems in which that we've created um, are patriarchal in our society. And I think we have um, prevailing views in society that are 
hopefully moving us away from that. But as we move away from that, there's also a counter reaction that wants to push more for that too. So I think we've got right wing kinds of movements um, that are trying to entrench certain um, laws and, and legal systems. And uh, when it comes to our relationship with humanity, or sorry, with divinity as humans, um, we're often trying in society to recreate what we think is right and just, which I think is a reflection of our view of our relationship with the divine. Like and, the kingdom uh, of God. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I, um, with that particular show, it was taking it to an extreme with the patriarchal sort of overbearing male figures and the subservient um, women's roles uh, in that story. I mean, that ties into some, some of what, I mean, I've got a few thoughts on this and different, different role uh, approaches to take um, these days uh, with, with the pandemic and, and, and with the, uh, the election in the States anyway, which, you know, in theory doesn't bear on us at all. And yet it bears on everyone in the world, which is sort of an odd sort of situation. Um, uh, I've been reading um, by an, an author called Marcus Redeker, who, who writes history books um, from, from the underside. So, so when we talk about it, theology from the underside, you know, liberation theology, theology from the underside, uh, this is history. It's not really theology. Um, but it's still that those stories from the, the underside and a, a large part of that comes out of the idea that me in my home with my family, middle-class Winnipeg, I'm suddenly without those stories, right? And so when I used to go to my congregation, which is in a downtown urban area where there's a lot of, um, you know, outcasts, a lot of uh, drug addiction, a lot of homelessness, a lot of all this, it was regularly in my face, but now I don't get that at home. And so it sort of slips away. Uh, you kind of lose that, that attachment to it, that relationship to the underside of the world, which, which is hidden from us in, in many ways and which this um, uh, pandemic has hid from much of the, much of the, 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 North American and European world anyway, because um, we don't have an opportunity to go to go see it anymore. It's not in our face anymore. And so I've been reading that and, and tying that into the election. I've been reading some Bonhoeffer as well. I always read Bonhoeffer around election time. Um, I just have to say, I, 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 think I love good that. for my soul anyway. I read after 10 years, the essay, uh, <laughs> that's what I start, start, start on, which is, you know, sort of a primer in many um, liberation theologies um, in, in, in many ways. And it's that, it's that reminder to me that I'm not getting all the stories of the world that I'm in my circle. I see what I see, but I'm not getting all the stories in the world. And so what I've appreciated in this time has been that reminder of the stories that are beyond my experience. And I tie that specifically into, into religion, into my faith, because as I've said before in this podcast, 
one of the best ways we can encounter God and know that it's God that we're encountering, in my belief anyway, is through that that underside, through those outcasts, through that that um, uh, through suffering, the, the the suffering the suffering world, um, and so I've really needed that at, at this time just to keep a, a, a finger on that pulse to some degree. And it helps that he writes about pirates and how awesome pirates are. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. When I asked about this, uh, part of it was because I'm finding myself going again and again to this one theologian because he has lectures on YouTube. Um, and I don't have to sit down and read it because who has time for that, right? <laughs> Pandemics are busier, mm -hmm. but um, I find myself going again and again to listening uh, to Willie Jennings, um, and that's Jennings, mm -hmm. should you ever be looking it up, <laughs> uh, who is a theologian and professor, I think it's at Duke University, and is a professor in, in race theology or theology of race, and has done a lot of work on that. Um, which could sound really limited and wouldn't necessarily be something that would always attract me when I'm, you know, feeling gross about life. The last thing I want to do is think about, you know, the problems of racism as well, because they're so brutal and so large. And mm. so, <clears throat> but I have found his lectures really life-giving because he, he's kind of, worked into he was doing so he was doing a lot on race and not that he's left race but he's um focused moved his focus onto he did um a commentary on the book of acts which is awesome and then he's uh doing more recent work on a theology of of creation mm. and just for anyone who might be listening who might be confused about creationism um, the idea that the, the world was literally made in, you know, the way it's laid out in the stories of scripture, uh, and that the, you know, the earth is not more than 10,000 years old and that kind of thing. So uh, against the science and evolution, um, this is not what we're talking about. This is not creationism, this theology mm -hmm. of creation. And I think Tim, you've brought it up before in some of our talks, mm -hmm. Uh, but about what it means to be people who live on land, because when he, when he was talking about race, it took him to talking about, um, how, how space is segregated hmm. and how, um, how, how the land we are on, the dirt that we live on is so important to what we're even talking about. We can't really talk about anything, he says, without being rooted in the land we're on, which is something that I've, I've heard um, from indigenous theologies as well, and, well and, and probably others. I Go mean, that, that, that ties very well into Old Testament theology of the promised land, right? I mean, you can't talk about um, you know, the Old Testament without talking about the promised land and being rooted on that land and what that means for the people there. Mm -hmm. Well, in the whole book of Exodus that we were going through mm -hmm. the lectionary recently, I hadn't realized until this turned through the lectionary, just how much of it is, you know, God is in the wind, in the mm -hmm. fire, in the, 
the water in the it well you know if, if you have heard um one of the bits of research on what manna might have been that it was a a, a type of bird dropping actually <laughs> there's a really nourishing type of bird droppings that's left by these flocks of birds um <laughs> whether that's you know the, the, the manna they were speaking <laughs> of or not um that it's you know and god and through the flock of quail and through it, you know and through the wilderness and decolonizing the people through right. their experience in the wilderness and all of that it's so land-based it's like it's the god of the natural world it's the god who is alive in the physical world and the god you know pitted against the pharaoh right the god of um empire systems basically mm -hmm. right so it's it's uh it's fascinating to me and so willie jennings talks about it um he talks a lot also about bodies right and what it means to to be creatures to be physical beings and you know it, in his case he's often talking about the like the violence that is put on to certain bodies and things like that or the or the assumptions or things like that but um it's it's bizarre to me how when we can be talking about terrible things like the racism in the world the injustice and inequity of the systems it can be so life-giving right when it's grounded in that vision of who we are as physical beings part of this creation that is this beloved place where god dwells this beloved family of god so that's been really sustaining me and my you know my parish has heard it many times they've heard me quote willie jennings many times <laughs> in sermons you know not all the time but from time to time um so that was something that was on my mind about that uh a theology that i mean maybe it's written down in some places but i haven't really found like a book and I haven't gotten a hold of Willie Jennings' latest book. And so I don't actually have that anywhere, but because I can, you know, watch it on YouTube, I've got some access to it. That that language of um being rooted in the the land, I often wonder why um I mean that that's a sort of a theology and a mythos that I think goes with a lot of cultures, but in different ways. Like I would say, Canada is a nation, is a nation that is rooted in the land, and that comes from a lot of places. It comes from you know um, relationship with indigenous communities. Um, it comes from, but but it also comes from the the old, the hewers of wood and drawers of water, which is a a um, scriptural I, I think joshua i think it's from joshua and uh it's a, a, a scriptural idea but that that being rooted in something i think is so important to our well-being um i mean then it goes other places too when it stops being us being rooted in the land to us exploiting the land is another thing entirely but uh but there's still that sense of being rooted uh here to to draw on it's why gardening is bloom during bloom that's it i didn't mean that as a pun but <laughs> that's why gardening has has gotten so big in the over the the, the pandemic i think is because people just want to root and maybe the making bread too right yeah, people want yeah. to do something that's yeah. involved in the process with yeah. hands-on sorry tyler yeah no i'm just saying i mean we we've been told to stay home we've been told to physically distance and it's in those times when we can't really go anywhere which 
we literally are sort of rooted to the couch <laughs> mm -hmm. um, that we that we sort of feel disoriented I think <clears throat> through this pandemic time it's really been a matter of people um, feeling out of sorts because of uh, needing to be in one place mm. not being able to even fly somewhere too um, you were talking about um, Willie Jelling Jennings um, mm -hmm. an author who came to mind who I wouldn't say is somebody that I've um, just discovered recently, but has certainly continued to speak to me through this time is Walter Brueggemann and mm -hmm. draws on some similar um, themes, particularly when you get into Hebrew scriptures as well. And the story of the Exodus and the story of, um, I would say, while there's the rootedness to the land, there's also this move, movement from bondage to liberation, from Pharaoh's slavery into new life. And, um, and uh, he, in one of his uh, pieces, Brueggemann talks about um, the cognate for Pharaoh in um, Christian scripture would be Caesar, um, the Roman mm -hmm. Empire, mm -hmm. and, um, and how the whole Jesus movement is really about an alternative vision for that. And, and, that's, and the way he describes it is something that does um, resonate with me and has for a number of years, but it's the um, I believe it's in Romans chapter 12, where it's kind of laid out, but could be summarized, or primary marks of the Christian faith could be summarized as being hospitable, being generous, um, not coveting, um, uh, observing Sabbath rest, not being vengeful. So there's kind of five things there. And, uh, and I would say that those are things that when I've made videos in this time for worship, when we've created... Um, online presence pieces it's those kinds of themes that have resonated with people that aren't necessarily part of the church community um, which mm. that's been kind of a a cool thing to journey with new people that way this time interesting it's um the, uh, being rooted to where we are as you know punishment <laughs> not necessarily punishment by anyone but as feeling like punishment or as being life-giving uh is a um a, something that we see even in scripture or i guess all through scripture there's uh competing tensions right or there's tensions between competing ways of of seeing the world and and mm. uh what it is that God wants or what is a good way to live. And, and that's something that I was noticing in Exodus. It's much more positive about being in the wilderness, right? It's the wilderness is where you meet God and growing God. Uh, and then you get into Deuteronomy and it's like that wilderness was this horrible time that God brought us through that terrible wilderness, right? So it was punishment. Uh, it's interesting how we can experience the two as very different things as, as the site where you meet God or as the site where we just suffer. Hmm. Meet God, but also grumble about <laughs> not getting three square meals a day. Why can't we just go back to Egypt where we kind of knew what was coming on? Like we, we knew. We oh, could yeah. things. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's, that's the, the decolonization, right? Where it's like, we had all this, we were so certain we had these stores of, we didn't have to be afraid. We didn't have to rely on um, 
patterns and seasonal changes in in the wild, right? We didn't have to rely on the God who provides in the land. We we could provide for ourselves or our system could provide for us even if we're slaves in it, you know, <laughs> which <laughs> speaks to me a lot about um, what life is like for us right now. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's convenient, right? It's it's interesting. Like I'm I'm just processing that tension now myself. That tension between um, being rooted in the land and, and getting my hands in, and this is this is home, right? Like this is this is my home and where I am and where my family is, but also, um, you know, what are, what are the costs of each? Right? Like are are there costs of each? Is there a cost to being rooted? Yeah, there is a cost to being rooted. That, that's what I mean. I guess I hadn't said it, but but I lose that connection with so many other people. With so many, I mean, I, I know what the my experience is like, and it's an experience shared by many people in my demographic these days. But the cost is I lose that interaction and that community with people that are not in my demographic. Right. Right. So how do you balance that being rooted um, with? with well liberation or with with i don't know how can we have a more expansive rootedness i guess if you try and put them both in together i, I don't know right i see what you're saying and it's such a different situation for me for me because i live right by our church yeah uh, the building that our church is in yeah so willie jennings would say <laughs> that it's an artificial situation that's been created by mm -hmm you know, systemically by planning that seg segregates mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. lower income people from higher income people and, and um, people who, for whom these things matter um, from people who just want things to be brand new and shiny or, you know, those kinds of things, um, which you wouldn't, you wouldn't normally get in most of human history in most places and most times. Um, and, and so when I grew up in a small town, I think 1500 people, um, it, it was, it, it was one of the things I still appreciate that I, when I think about that, I have family living there still, uh, that, you know, we would be in school, we would be in class, we would be on the same block with people who of very different incomes and, different levels of respectability, you know, according to the people of our town, and you'd all be thrown in together. <laughs> and your neighbor might be this person who you think is this like horrible, trashy person or this judgmental snob or whatever, right? But you got to work it out together. And I kind of feel like church is like that, because um, our particular congregation is mixed like that. Um, and, and of course, we're not, you know, we've had some outside outdoor worship services but you know we're largely not meeting like that and somehow I carry that memory with me a lot I carry that the sense of our family a lot as a whole and I don't know if that's the same in your situation Tim where you are because I, I don't know if your congregation's as mixed or if it's more that it's in a in an area that is more uh, more diverse. Yeah. I mean, my congregation is, is, is relatively mixed relative to a lot of congregations, 
but it's not as mixed as you know it, it, there are a lot of commuters who attend this downtown a downtown church from from more suburban areas right um yeah I would say for my church, and I would speak, maybe speak more generally about my denomination as opposed to my local church, mm-hmm. it, a lot of the churches tend to be quite homogenous. Mm-hmm. And, and some to the point of being churches that are built around family units, so that you may only have two or three extended families, mm-hmm. hopefully a few more than that, but largely the activity of the church revolves around just a few families kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, so it's not super diverse. <laughs> mm. Which makes the rootedness question a, a very good question for churches and for people of faith. Mm-hmm.